Welcome to the Soft Issues Podcast, where we unravel the niche worlds of bike fitting, frame building, and the hidden side of the bike industry. This week, we're still in the car, and the fuel gauge has come on. Tune in for this slightly shorter episode with Matt on way talking about the biomechanics of running, barefoot shoes versus super shoes, and will we actually make it to lunch with Tony? We're back. <laughs> we're still in the car. We're bored, so we're going to do some more talking. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I don't know, how, how long have we got left to go? About now? 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, thought we'd just uh, jump back on and uh, talk a little bit more about biomechanics. Um, one thing I didn't mention in the last episode was uh, talking about running biomechanics and how um, you can affect different muscle loading patterns due to your running gait and uh, landing mechanics and uh, we talked a little bit about how uh, your bike position can change your muscle recruitment and how muscles work so I just want to talk to Matt who's our resident running specialist. Hobby jogger. Hobby jogger. <laughs> Medio, like the very definition of mediocrity. Yeah, I was wondering what your take was on, uh, yeah, changing your running uh, mechanics and how that affects muscle recruitment. Um, like if you're, assume if you're more of a forefoot striker. Like if you look at Alistair Brownlee, like I don't, oh, like he man. just, he like runs on his tiptoes and, so and I'll, I'll caveat this heavily with he seems to do all right <laughs> when he's not injured <laughs> yeah. but like, that's it he's, he's yeah. always injured but he's always lower leg ankle stuff as well so like alistair and johnny runs very similarly as well yeah. like they are rapid lightning fast like, i think alistair ran 29 something or other when he won the olympics in 2012 yeah. which is disgusting but Again, it's like, you know, we talk about on the bike about postural stress, yeah. right? There's, you put, throw running into that, you've got impact stress as well. So you run like more kind of like, you say, you know, to use Alistair as an example, you run more on your tiptoes, more on your forefoot. All of that stress is being kind of like, you kind of like focused, if you like, for want of a better word, on a very small surface area of your foot but it loads a very small surface area of your body, right? Yeah. So it's a lot of stress on the, the lower leg. Yeah. So your calves, your Achilles, yeah. um, like all of the kind of like the tendons and the fascia underneath your foot, yeah. um, all of that kind of stuff from the knee down basically is getting an absolute battering. Yeah. And these muscles are quite small and they have limited capacity. Yeah. Right. So if you're racing middle distance, yeah. which, you know, eight, 1500 meters, the yeah. mile up to 3K, maybe. Yeah. I don't even think three, 3K is not even middle distance. It's basically eight, 1500. You can get away with it because yeah. your race is generally lasting. If you're a 1500, like, you know, a, a diamond league level 1500 meter runner, your race is lasting no more than, yeah. well, these days, three minutes, 35 yeah. seconds, three minutes, 40 seconds. You know, if you're the sharp end, 330. Yeah. So you're loading that kind of like very small specific kind of area for a relatively small amount of time. Yeah. So the longer the distance goes, you might want to change your mechanics 
to preserve or kind of like bias muscles with larger capacity, right? So landing more midfoot or kind of what you might call like a tripod kind of stance, yeah. like spreading the load across the foot more is going to bias muscles further up the system more towards your hip. Yeah. Um, so like you know, hip-driven runners, you can use a bit more of your glutes, your quads. Yeah. These muscles have a lot bigger capacity to do load over a longer period of time. Um, so I hijacked your little thread there, didn't I? No, that's great. A little bit. That, that's kind of what I wanted to get onto, really. Um, but yeah, like, um, you know, Alex, Alex Yee yeah. also, he was a Diamond League runner. Yeah, he's run well under 14 minutes yeah. for 5k. But his kind of running mechanics just don't seem as extreme. Um, so Alex is a runner. Yeah. Like he came to triathlon through running. Yeah. And like his like the way his body is kind of built. Yeah. He's built a bit more like a runner. Yeah. He has long legs relative to his torso. Yeah. Um, and he has kind of like a like a long rangey kind of stride. Yeah. Um, whereas like the reason we got onto this in the first place we were sort of just chatting off off the mics about um, when uh, Alex and Christian Blumenfeld. Yeah, we're yeah. running side by side. So, in the Olympics, Tokyo Olympics. In the Tokyo yeah. Olympics, yeah. and just the difference in mechanics of um, you know a thoroughbred runner, if you like, yeah. in Alex versus you know a physiological specimen yeah. in Christian. Yeah, and just like the way that the, the different ways they achieve yeah. the same kind of end, just, if you like, yeah. power versus efficiency. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, like how, yeah, how there's more than one way to kind of cut the cake, but you kind of have to like with running. Running's kind of different because there's no, like to bikes because there's no machinery in the way. Yeah, like you've unfortunately you've got what you've got. Yeah, and you kind of have to work with it. So as an example, like I'm built like a swimmer. I've got a ridiculously long torso and short, dumpy little legs, <laughs> but I love running. And I'm not built for running, really. Yeah. So my kind of short little legs don't really have that kind of like, like it's difficult for me to like elongate my stride. So there's other strategies that you kind of have to use depending on your body type. Yeah. So, you know, put me next to, you know, someone who's similar height to me, but has long legs relative to their torso, they're gonna run in a much different way to what yeah. I have to run, yeah. right? And foot strike is only a small part of the equation. Yeah. Um, so, but there's still choice within kind of your your mechanics. Like yeah, every like a lot of people think of running as just this natural thing. You that just everyone, do it, right? You, you just do it. Yeah, and that's true until uh, up to a point. But there's definitely skill and uh, awareness that needs to take place. Hundred percent. Yeah, you like you need to be conscious and mindful and think deeply about how you're running. And I've only learned this for years of smashing my body um, <laughs> and running like a brownlee in slow motion uh, on my tiptoes. So yeah, you have to really think deeply and often about what it is that you're doing. Because it's like, like bike positioning, right? You're trying to ingrain good habits. Like on the bike, we want to prioritize yeah, as many good pedal strokes as we can in a row. And it's the same for running. You want to you know, have as many good strides, as many efficient strides, and strong strides with good form in a row as you can. 
and yeah, same with swimming. You want to do as many good strokes back to back as you can. Yeah. So anything with this like repetitive, symmetrical kind of movement patterns, where you did the same thing over and over again on the same like you know, same thing on different sides of your body. You just yeah, you're trying to ingrain good habits and get rid of bad ones. Yeah. And being like you know, running is one of those like it's you know the most kind of primal expression of human movement in a way. Yeah, you know, very rarely do people think about what it is they're actually mm. doing. Mm. We get kind of like, you know, I've got a rant about Born to Run. Yeah. That book. Yeah. Like the, Love it. Know, the barefoot running book. Yeah, yeah. Man, that dude kept physios in work for like <laughs> 10 years after that. Because everyone went out and bought a set of Vibrams. Yeah. And started running barefoot. And then smashed themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff you kind of have to think about but going back to your point about mechanics and like muscle preferencing or muscle biasing like the more I learn about running like and I'm I'm not an, I'm, I hate the word expert and I'm not an expert at this this is purely anecdotal um, but the more you I sort of learn and read about running it's like kind of almost less about where your foot strikes the ground whether you're forefoot midfoot yeah. or rearward um, heel striker yes obviously you know if you land right on your tiptoes you're going to bias some muscle groups and smaller muscle groups to the lower leg um, it's more about where your foot lands relative to the center of mass so like what you kind of underneath want, your body exactly so what you want is your foot to land and support you beneath your center of mass yeah as much as possible because this is where you're going to create a one stability to kind of like support yourself with as big a balance of muscles as possible. So you want to use as many muscle fibers as you can to create the stability to generate the force from the ground. Because that's what's going to make you run faster. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. So where your foot lands relative to your body weight is arguably far more important than where it lands on the foot, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's his, what's his chops who just won the great north run this um, this this weekend, just got Tamarat Tola, Ethiopian yeah. lad, ran 58-something, 58, 58 yeah. in bits. Absolutely outrageous, disgustingly fast. Yeah, lands on his heel. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Shura Kitata, another Ethiopian lad, ran, yeah. um, he won London in 2020, when, yeah. the, the, when it was disgusting weather. Uh, Kipchoge finished sixth, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, massive heel striker. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't really matter too much where you land on your foot. It's yeah. more where that is relative to your centre of mass. Yeah. Do you think... So, a couple of points, but... Yeah, I'll go back to, like, bike fitting. Like, where this train of thought started from was us talking about uh, Magnus Dietlef and his kind of really forward bike position and how that creates um, a lot of postural stress through certain muscles like primarily your, your quads which will have a negative probably most likely have a negative impact on his run because he's basically smoked his quads or kind of overused them relative to all his other muscle groups which could be used but he's not using as much but then I was like well you know depending on what his uh, running mechanics are maybe he can start to preference more posterior chain when he gets onto the run somehow I don't know how like I don't know um, yeah and and therefore kind of offset some of this kind of 
pretty extreme like bike position. I mean, obviously, he didn't quite get it right because he just got smoked by Langer, but. You know. Well, I think everyone was getting smoked by like, <laughs> that day. Like Patrick was on an absolute tear. Like ran two thirty two. Yeah. Like looked like he was jogging, and the only reason I think he didn't catch Sam yeah. was because Sam had so much real estate off the bike. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting point. It's like you know, can you can you prioritise different muscle groups on the run like you can influence with bike positioning? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think you can to a certain point. Um, and again, it depends. Like running for triathlon is very different to running for just like running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, even if you just look at kind of people's stride um, in a triathlon, you know, you've ridden 180k on an Ironman pretty damn hard. Yeah. And, you know, you're then having, you know, you're then faced with a marathon. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to have this beautiful elongated stride where you're like, you know, your hip, like you've got nice hip flexion and your hip flexors are like fresh and, yeah. uh, you know, you can get that really nice stretch and elongation for your hamstring. The iron shuffle. Yeah, because you've been basically <laughs> smashing yourself in this really deep hip hinge position for, you know, if you're a pro, yeah. just over four hours. If you're like the rest of us, probably closer to six. Like, it's just not feasible. So yeah, like, you know, running for triathlon is very different. You want to maybe be slightly kind of set back a little bit, lean maybe slightly more rearward than you would if you were just running like uh, a 10K or a half marathon or something like that, where you haven't had a bike ride before. Uh, and shoe technology plays a pretty, they can play a big part in this as well. So I don't think that the shoe necessarily has a massive influence on how you run. Um, this is just kind of anecdotally, like I run the same in whatever shoe I'm wearing mm, to yeah. a point. But these shoes with like more like a rocket geometry, they can allow you to like basically strike a little bit more onto the rearward of your foot and they kind of encourage you kind of forward. Yeah. So you can basically, you don't have to have this kind of as extreme forward lean. You can sit back a little bit get your kind of hamstrings and glutes involved a little bit more and yeah the shoe does a little bit more for you to kind of help kind of push you through that gate cycle yeah unless you're Patrick and you don't need it yeah um, but I mean yeah I, I was wondering if I was being kind whether or not uh, the trend in hokers was more to do with this ability to I don't know sustain a position a running uh, a more decent running position after you know uh, a big long hard bike ride it's like a as a triathlon specific shoe with you know if people don't know what hokers are they're just big foamy super fat foamy yeah trainers. so hoka were like the first brand to kind of like go really deep into this rocket geometry yeah um Traditionally, like everyone would like race in like proper racing flats, yeah. like old school flats. Yeah. So, like if you look at um, one of the best runners from like back in the day when we were kind of on these like old school shoes, was um, oh I've forgotten his name now, German lad. Um, used to have the Iron Distance World Record. Did it in Roth. Oh, and it, uh, um, curly hair? No. What's his bloody name? It'll come back to me. Um, used to race on like the um, uh, Erdinger team. Anyway, that, it's not important. 
But basically, like, when everyone was kind of in flats, they were literally flat like yeah. this. So you had to run. Like, you know, the good runners were going to smoke everyone because their form was just so much more efficient. Whereas, like, hokers, they were the, kind of the first, like, kind of brand to really kind of go into this kind of, like, what they call max cushion, like, rockered kind of geometry. Yeah. And I think this is why, kind of, like, they had, like, initially a, a really big following in triathlon. Yeah. Um, because they just help you kind of roll forward. Yeah. Um, and now everyone else is kind of like with the advent of super shoes, like and super rocket geometries. They've kind of, you know, the tech's moved on a little bit. Yeah. And Hoka haven't really sort of changed that much. Yeah. Um, Andy Rayler. Oh, yes. So Andreas Rayler, beautiful runner. Yeah. But was always running in like, like the original like Adios flats. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, like I say, now everyone's in like, you know, super 40 mil sack yeah. super shoes yeah. with like massive rockers yeah um so yeah and it kind of like it differentiated like the shoe tech kind of differentiated people because yeah. when we didn't have this shoe tech it was more down to yeah how well could you run yeah. you know whereas now everyone's kind of in you know alpha flies or whatever it is that yeah. people are using and yeah it's you don't have to be as efficient the shoe does a little bit more for you. Um, doesn't do it all for you, not by any stretch, but it just helps yeah. kind of you, you roll through that gait cycle a little yeah. bit. It just helps protect kind of your, your kind of smaller muscle groups, your calves a little bit. But yeah. the load has to go somewhere. So if you can prioritize the load up into the bigger kind of muscle groups, like further up into your hip, yeah. um, you know, right, right, quads, glutes, hamstrings, that sort of thing, then yeah, you're just going to last a bit longer into the marathon. Yeah, I wonder if um, all the carbon plate technology is actually... That must be... I don't know if that's going to help you in a triathlon that much, um, or a triathlon run. So uh, the thing with carbon plates, right, is the force has to go somewhere. Yeah. You're not putting any less force into the... Well, you might even be putting more force in. Yeah. Um, but with the more foam, you have to put more force into the road to compress it to get the energy return. Yeah. So it's the foam that actually gives you the benefit. Yeah. The carbon plate is mainly there to stabilize it, to stabilize the foam. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd just be kind of running around on a massive, unstable pillow. Yeah. So I don't know if it's actually like the carbon plate is, or the, you know, the carbon shoes are doing that much to kind of increase speeds. I think people are training better, which is why we're seeing like consistent sub 240 marathons yeah. on the men's side. Um, I'm not sure how much of it is the shoe tech, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Jury's, jury's out. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. All right. More food for thought, as always. Yeah. yeah. Work on your running mechanics is basically there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But make sure you can run off the bike as well. Like, yeah. yeah, practice running off the bike. If you are in a position on the bike whereby you know you're cramping in your quads, like 20 minutes into the run, because yeah. you're overusing your quads on the bike. Yeah. Then it's like we were saying, you know, just earlier. Maybe you want to revisit your bike position. Yeah. To prioritize a better overall race, yeah. rather than just the bike leg. Yeah. Well, as you said, everything affects everything else. So. Yeah. But if you read, um, there's quite an interesting 
interview with Patrick after the World Champs in Nice um, and what he was thinking about when he was running. Yeah. It's like forward lean on your toes. Mm. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like, you know, if you watch any kind of like professional runner or most of them in like full flight, like, yeah, yeah. yeah obviously Elliot Kipchoge springs to mind because it's just yeah. like, you know, beautiful to watch. But yeah, they have a slight forward lean. Yep. They're rolling off their toes. Yep. And yeah, they get this really nice kind of triple extension between their hip, their knee, and their ankle. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, the way to kind of do that is to keep your muscles long and supple, yeah. but strong as well. And cycling, as we know, shortens things like the hamstrings. Yeah. I was just about to say, it's the complete opposite to what cycling does. Yeah. You know, not on your toes. You want to push through the whole of your foot. Yeah strapped into a rigid carbon shoe that doesn't flex um, trying to push yeah uh, different muscle groups yeah. So, on, so. Yeah. so if you want to be a better runner off the bike you need to work on some of these things as well like making sure that yeah you can elongate through your hamstrings yeah. your hip flexors are strong yeah. as well um, massively I mean, undertrained yeah. muscle group generally um, so yeah there's like there's work to be done um and they like say, you know, it's not just about one sport which is going to give you, you know, better race result. It's looking at the thing as a whole and say, right, what can I prioritize? What what can I kind of work on? And what do I need to kind of maybe sort of compromise on in order to get a better overall result? Yeah. And if that means riding a few minutes slower to run 10 minutes faster, yeah. then, you know, net, you're going to be up overall. So makes sense. So again, like choices to be made. Yeah, absolutely. It's the great triathlon puzzle. And also, don't run all your miles in super shoes. <laughs> because your feet won't work. Yeah. You've got well, to yeah. strengthen your feet and strengthen, like, callous your muscles. And then when you put the super shoes on, it becomes easy. Yeah. So you do need to obviously adapt and kind of like train into the super shoes because the muscles that you're using, the force is, is the same, but the load is going into a different part of your body. Yeah. But like with anything you can have too much of a good thing yeah. so if you're training in like super shoes super trainers like all the time your muscles are going to become numb because yeah. they don't have to do as much work um, so yeah there's a balance to be had I think isn't it funny though how uh, yeah there was the, the, the barefoot trend and everyone went out and did yeah. the barefoot thing and everyone got injured because they couldn't uh, they weren't used to the, the whole barefoot thing and uh, didn't give themselves enough time to adapt to that new position and kind of yeah. overstress their muscles and so And then now we're going the opposite way where we get super shoes and everyone's getting injured again. <laughs> it's all fads, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's gone one from one extreme to the other. The pendulum yeah. swings are like so like far in, in each direction that, you know, just get a moderate stack, daily trainer, do all your miles in that. <laughs> do your sessions in that. Yeah. You know, like if you can if you just buy a really boring shoe and learn to run really well. <laughs> and then when you put the, the fancy stuff on, like for those you know, key sessions, your faster stuff and your races, then it's like cheating. Yeah, we should just be called the boring triathletes or something. Yeah, but like, <laughs> We're just always recommending the boring stuff. Well, this is the thing, it's like moderation for most people works. Yeah. Like it's like diet, isn't it? like all these fat diets and whatever basically if you eat well 80% of the time you'll be alright yeah yeah. have a cake why yeah. not <laughs> you know like it's the same thing in running like yeah. you know 
you don't need to go to the extremes of each kind of end of the, of the spectrum in order to get better. Like, just it's showing up consistently over time. Yeah. Not yeah, getting yeah. injured. Yeah. Not like doing you know crazy things every yeah. week, and then you'll get better. Yeah. Pretty yeah. straightforward, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's the uh, it's that consistency that. Uh, Pays dividends. Yeah. Anyway, that's got me thinking about lunch. I hope Tony's got some food for us. Yeah, let's see. Well, should be there in a minute. And hopefully, my fuel gauge has just come on, so uh, hopefully we'll make it. <laughs> well, yeah, stay tuned to see if we actually make it. All right. See you next time, folks. If you made it to the end of this episode, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, do leave us a rating or review as this really helps other riders find our podcast too and motivates us to keep making more episodes. Thanks for your support and catch you on the next one.